0: Welcome to Politics in the North, where a couple of recovering policy wonks get together to discuss politics. Hello, and welcome back to Politics in the North. So today we are joined by Eddie, Rebecca, Alex, Hello. Atul, and Bushra. Hello. Hi, everyone.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: And for this episode, we're going to be focusing on the concept of misinformation. So we're we're living in quite special times right now where you don't really know what's true and not. And I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to aunts, uncles, and my own mom on occasion regarding stories that they've been sharing on the interwebs amongst their own networks regarding truths related to COVID. So I figured a good way to start is let's rank our top conspiracy theory that we've come across (laughs) over the
2: past few months? 5G causes COVID. That has to take the cake for me.
1: I love a good QAnon conspiracy theory. They're some of my favorites. So I got to go with COVID being a Chinese bioweapon to, uh, A venture between China and the Democrats to stop Trump's re-election. That's got to be my favorite one for sure.
3: I would say my favorite one is definitely the one that will not die and Trump is adopting it super hardcore, and that's the Wuhan Virology Institute or Wuhan Virology Lab one.
4: I'll definitely go with the uh, it's man-made from a lab designated to stop the West or designated to stop China, one of the two, whoever is using it at the time. But it's just interesting to at least hear how many countries are using this COVID to like, take shots at one another. I I think it also reminds me of a few WhatsApp messages my mom was sending me earlier on, and she would always ask me, do you think this is true? Do you think this is true? And I would have to say, mom, don't send those messages to anyone else. Those are false messages. Yeah,
5: Yeah, I guess for me, my favorite one is the injecting or covering yourself in bleach or chlorine will get rid of the virus. I've seen that a lot, and... I had initially seen it come out a couple of months ago as I was monitoring um, some of the myths on the WHO website. So even before it went viral in the US because of certain leaders sharing this as a fact when it is in fact not.
2: I mean, <laughs> cool. I don't know about you. I've been misting bleach into my mouth this whole time <laughs> and I haven't had COVID. Did, did you have your
3: Tide mm-hmm. <laughs> Pod martini?
2: Exactly.
1: If that's not proof, I don't know what is. At the
0: end of the day, for me, the the one was the bat soup as being the principal reason why we are living through this experience. Someone decided, you know what, I'm going to cook myself some bat soup, and this is hence why we're here today. But... I know,
1: but we all know it's actually pandolin soup.
0: <laughs> <It's>... <laughs>
1: come on Chris
0: (laughs) I gotta
2: keep up with it I gotta keep up with
0: it right now clearly it's special times and the amount of thinking that you need to do when you're digesting information is ridiculous because you have supposed sources of truth like the White House coming up with certain statements from the president and then 24 hours later kind of refuting or doubling down on these issues So, given the current environment, what type of strategies do you think governments need to start taking to kind of clean up this mess that we're seeing kind of unfold in real time?
2: I think it's hard because it goes beyond the immediate COVID related crisis as well. This is a problem that we've been having for years now. And so far, a lot of social media platforms have been not particularly willing to take action against a lot of the misinformation that's out there. Recently, you've seen YouTube and Facebook deal with some of the more egregious examples. So just going back to the uh, theory that 5G towers spread COVID, YouTube has started taking down videos that actively promote people to go and burn down cell towers, but they haven't taken down the ones which just posit that this is maybe a connection that's out there. Facebook's done, uh, taken a similar approach. So even they haven't been able to stop it. I know in the UK, the main seller, the main uh, media regulator there, Ofcom, has been pretty active in monitoring interviews that occur on public broadcasters and on private broadcasters as well, but those are more traditional networks. If some local London TV station is, broad- is broadcasting an interview with David Icke about 5G, that's only going to reach so many people. I, I think the social media problem is much bigger and uh, Really, it's hard to see how that gets regulated.
1: I I couldn't agree more, Alex. And right now I'm actually in the middle of a book called Antisocial. It's by Andrew Morantz. And it is honestly amazing. It digs into exactly this topic. Misinformation being spread is not new right like we have had conspiracy theories about the moon landing for the last 50 years what is mainly different is that traditional media used to act as the gatekeepers to control this information and the spread of misinformation and they did a little bit of a better job about that than these social media companies who have now subsumed that role as the gatekeepers. But instead of taking that in stride and, you know, taking that power and using it responsibly, they decided to let people have these platforms to spread this misinformation and they did nothing to stop it. And that's why it's like, Earlier, before we started this recording, we were talking about how social media companies are starting to do a better job of, you know, putting tags on things that are clearly not factual and taking stuff down. But why haven't they been doing this for the last 10 years, right? Like they have enabled the spread of this misinformation by not doing something sooner. So in my mind, we need these new gatekeepers actually taking responsibility and stepping up and intervening and controlling the spread of this misinformation. We need government to mandate that these social media companies start to do that, and I know that there are all kinds of problems associated with that, but we need to do something, right? Because people are getting hurt by this misinformation, so I'm not sure what the exact recipe is to address this, but I know that we can't continue down the path we're currently going.
5: Exactly. I definitely agree that we need to regulate better and not just leave it up to those social media platforms to self-regulate. And I think there is a huge gap in the governance of that system. And we have to ask ourselves, why now are these social media platforms maybe adjusting some of their guidelines? I know that Twitter had also expanded its guidelines to include misinformation related to COVID, some of the racism and discrimination that was also emerging as a result of COVID conspiracy theories. And I think part of that is the scope of the people who are affected. Because misinformation and disinformation was already affecting various populations before curbing people's ability to access the right to vote and the right to factual information to make informed decisions in their daily lives. And so there's also this lack of trust that exists in institutions that we need to address. And I don't know how much we can rely on the White House, for example, to be that source of information or source of truth in particular. And I think that brings me back to kind of the way that Chris initially framed this as the White House being a source of truth. But I think we need to talk about it just being a source of information, whether that information is true or not. We need to build those media and literacy capacities in the population to make sure that they can determine whether it's actually factual or not. And instead of just measuring our education systems on their success in uh, math and the kind of the quantitative things that we've been measuring in the past, I think we also need to look at literacy as a core skill that hasn't really been taught effectively in many parts of the world. I think that's a systematic thing that's been happening over a long period of time.
3: I think when you're looking at how to combat it, you're looking at comparing short term and long term strategies. So, you know, for short term both Rebecca and Bush I talked about, you know, it's about working with, IT firms and software companies and social media platforms to try and clamp down on information or misinformation when it's posted on websites and making sure that you know fact checkers are active and you're working with civil society and the government to make sure everyone is on the same kind of plane when it comes to understanding what is true and what is not from a more long-term perspective though and this this comes to a study that I read a few years ago of misinformation in Finland and what they found is that there was a lot of Russian propaganda or misinformation that was floating around in Finland and some of the other Baltic states, but it didn't take up among society the same way that you saw misinformation take up during the 2016 Trump election, for example. And they did an analysis and said, okay, why is it that so many so much of the population here isn't adopting some of these ideas or going crazy about it. And one of the big factors to come about is A, obviously levels of social capital and trust in government as it you know should exist. I think the second big thing is levels of education and not just education, but quality education. When the average individual is given the tools to digest a piece of information and think critically about it from multiple points of view and to question it, and that is a practice that they have been undertaking since a very young age and it's part of their base, misinformation becomes much harder.
4: I would also add to the fact that misinformation has been prevailing. I think even in 2016, we saw a lot of that. And we ask ourselves, why didn't the social media companies do anything? It it could also be to the laws, the rules, like the freedom of speech or liberty is expressed very differently in different jurisdictions. There's a lot more leeway in the United States with what is determined as free speech, which limits the ability of certain, say, intermediaries uh, from being able to cartel certain types of discussions. Whereas in Canada, there is a limit to what you can say, especially if it's being targeted to our particular groups, or it is going to have a perceived impact. At least from the Canadian perspective, we've seen a lot more different agencies and regulators try to crack down on the type of misinformation that's being spread within different sectors, working with the RCMP, working with local police to try and let people know about any kind of fraud scams or what they need to do. But then there is an inbuilt system, an in build process in the country to ensure people are aware that fact checking is a common thing but in the united states where you may have say fox news telling you one thing and a whole community gravitating to the president thinking that everyone else is going against them and another one that maybe say more say democratic leaning you have a lot of those issues and i think it's not only the united states you find that in many parts of the world where you'll have that media that is supported by the state and that is supported by the private and it comes down to what is exactly free speech, and what do you, I think, what is considered fake news and what is helpful for the citizen.
3: Based on what you said, Eddie, I want to pose a question to you and the larger group. You talked about Fox News, and we know that Fox News has been voracious with the kind of stories they've been coming out with over the last few years, especially now with the pandemic. Do you think it is viable to implement laws that constrain or attack The ability of media companies and individuals, especially well-known individuals, and punish them for statements that are made that may not be accurate. Who is, who would control the standards for this?
4: I don't think we can control the standards. I think if we're looking at Fox News in the United States, that is a very difficult fight, especially from precedent form, say, Supreme Court cases. A person may decide to say it was just a joke they'll put the onus on the viewer to say it's up to them to make their decision. When Trump says, like, oh, maybe we should use bleach or something of the sorts, in any other democracy, we should hold him to account. However, in the democracy that the United States is, is that it was just a joke and it's a responsibility of the individual. But again, I think... You can put limits as to what can be construed as true. However, it will depend on jurisdiction.
2: Another thing, too, just adding to Eddie's point, one of the things that makes social media so difficult to regulate is that a lot of the time, unlike with Fox News, for example, you're not getting misinformation from one straight source. You're getting it from individuals on there. And so taking legal action to regulate what those people are saying on a platform gets to be really difficult. I don't know how they can do that for now, but I think there has been some progress made by at least YouTube and uh, Facebook and dealing with the more egregious examples, but it hasn't been enough.
1: And I really want to loop back to what Bushra had said earlier around like, You guys are totally right. The government is not going to be able to regulate and enforce these kinds of things at the scale that they would need to to make it stop. And we don't want them to. Social media companies, they're starting to step up. They're starting to develop these standards they should certainly continue to do this. But I think Bushra's point around, you know, media and internet literacy and trying to give individuals the tools that they need to be able to understand not everything you see on the internet is fact. There is a difference between opinion and fact. Make sure that you are doing your due diligence before you share this kind of information. And so at the end of the day, there's not going to be one solution that we go forward with. It's going to be a combination of those three things working together to move us forward as a society. And I really think that that's going to be really critical in the future. One of the really interesting points in antisocial is that we always assume that the society is going to bend in the direction of justice and that even if things kind we're going through a weird phase right now, but 10 years down the line, it'll figure itself out. And Andrew makes the point that that is not guaranteed. <laughs> like we do need to start intervening through government, these organizations and individuals to create the world we want to create. Everything working out is, in the end is not guaranteed. Like look at North Korea, look at some of the things that are happening in China right now with facial recognition technology, right? Like we have to make this change or really bad things could happen.
5: I completely agree with Rebecca. I think we need a whole host of tools to actually make sure that we're addressing this issue. And I think another big part of that is making sure that information is accessible in multiple languages and formats. I find it interesting that when it comes to political campaigns, how quickly they translate information and pander to certain populations. But when it came to this pandemic and other crises, there was so little information available in these other languages. I know in the Canadian context, we had everything in the two official languages, French and English. But there are many people, especially if you look at the older demographic who may have immigrated and speak a language other than English um, or French fluently, were unable to understand the information that was out there. So even in my family group chats, in WhatsApp, for example, as Eddie pointed out earlier, there was a whole host of misinformation that was being shared. And so I became the regulator in my groups as a de facto, which can cause also tensions within the group because nobody wants to hear from the person who keeps on correcting all the misinformation. But it's a really vital thing to be doing, moderating some of these forums, especially when there is that trust built into your relationships, because they may not trust some official channels. And so we have to really understand how do people consume information? What are those existing channels of information? Tap into those existing channels and make sure that you're writing that information in a way that is really accessible.
0: I think you made an excellent point in terms of communities appointing moderators within themselves. This is actively happening on a day-to-day basis. One particular point I found interesting now is that you're seeing some traditional media kind of step up by offering their services for free now in the current climate, because again, behind paywalls, you can't get access to that information. So being able to open things up through sources like the Globe and Mail or the Toronto Star or vice versa, it's always interesting to see how these companies are kind of shifting their approach to to be more aware of the fact that people aren't as willing to to pay for the media that they consume.
1: And I hadn't really thought about that, Chris. Like, as these media companies and news organizations need to be competitive and cannot make ends meet and they start going behind paywalls, what are the implications of that for misinformation going forward, right? That's a really interesting point.
3: (laughs) Two things hit me really hard there. What Bushra said first definitely hit me hard uh, because I, so my my background is Indian. And as you know, India and Modi, is there's a huge problem around the veracity of information that's out there. And this has been going on for the last few years. And it's kind of, you see this misinformation inflation effect going on, especially during the pandemic. And even within our, my family groups, people keep posting things that are just absolutely abysmal and untrue that brings up another point for me, because every time myself or somebody else within the family, and another thing to notice here, and I don't know how correct it is to say this, but you will find that the digestion of misinformation generally tends to happen amongst a certain demographic group that are normally older. And I'm certainly in India, that's the truth. I don't know if that applies broadly. But I think another thing that comes to my mind is whenever you talk about misinformation, and this is something we've been talking about, we've been talking about the listener, the audience, who is the audience to misinformation? How are they, you know, how are you making truth available to them? Are, Are they able to understand the truth? And do they know where to look for the truth? The other thing I think is important to talk about is the authority to speak. Who has the authority to speak and provide, quote unquote, the truth? because there's a certain power that comes with that and there it's not just about speaking the truth it's about having the legitimacy and the authority to speak the truth i can't just go into one of these groups and say hey well actually that's not true this is what the government's actually been doing or this is the true number of deaths or whatever because i get labeled as a westerner or you know somebody who's kind of left the country and resides somewhere else and you'll find this even now in in the united states with you know news channels who say well no the government is wrong and then you know trump will come out and label them as a fake news media and the and the government provides its own statistics and its own videos embellishing whatever it is that their supposed achievements are.
5: It's really important to diversify the sources of information and to not share necessarily sources that seem foreign to people. So there are localized sources of credible information. And so that can really help in overcoming some of these ideas about you being a westernized source of information, for example, within your context. But it's also really important to look at the trust factor. Just because you're related or connected to people doesn't necessarily mean that they trust you as a source of information. And so that's a really critical point that we need to talk about and how we develop that over time based on what we're doing in every area of our lives. It's not okay that people are sharing disinformation on other topics and suddenly when it comes to the pandemic or COVID-19, people are trying to spread the truth because they're so fearful of the impacts of the misinformation on people's actual health and lives. It's a skill that needs to be integrated in all aspects of our lives. Um, So I think that you need to combine those things, the building of trust over time, but also diversifying sources of information and the skill of triangulation, investing in libraries, for example, which have been trusted forums for information sharing, credible information sharing, and even the individual librarians being the the people who often train individuals. I remember my first understanding of what peer review was, triangulation, how to assess accurate information happened at a young age because of a librarian. And that individual taught me those set of skills that have kept with me throughout my life and have been really essential for a lot of the work that I do.
0: On that note, to wrap things up, if you had imagined, magic wand, what would you unilaterally impose (laughs) on society to help fix the misinformation issue?
4: So if I had a magic wand, I would definitely, I think building on Bush's point, I think we have different institutions that hold a certain level of trust in our communities and as a society. And what we've seen from this COVID is that we've seen not only grocery stores, banks, social media sites that have been communicating uniform information that has been gotten from the WHO or from the federal government or provincial government. And you see there are a lot of opportunity where there are certain key issues that those trusted institutions should be able to disclose to people or provide to people. So we're not only talking about pandemics, but also like say privacy, what are your privacy rights that you have to know? What do you have to know about your major rights or anything else of the sorts? I think we do have established institutions and I think it's just mandating maybe requiring a lot more cooperation from these institutions and also from different sets of regulators, CRTC, the Office of the Chief Privacy Commissioner, working together in making sure that we all stay informed and stay in touch.
5: I definitely agree with your suggestions, Eddie. I think for myself, if I had this magic wand, um, I'm big on systems reforms and systems transformation. So that's the kind of the direction that I would lean towards. And I think that would require um, changes in a variety of systems, including our education systems, our political systems, our economic systems, because people are susceptible to misinformation because of certain factors. And we need to acknowledge that And I think education being one of the primary ones that I would tackle in the immediate term, because as we look to what our systems are going to look like even post-COVID, this is something that we can start changing now and making sure that information is accessible and we diversify the sources of what we consider to be experts instead of just looking at people in positions of authority who may not um, actually be sharing credible sources of information.
2: Yeah, I agree completely with the point about education. In an ideal world, we would focus much much more on information literacy and frankly I think it would be great if people were taught how to debate from a much earlier age in school I found in my personal experience that was really great in helping to development as a critical thinker so if we could see an expansion of that that would be wonderful and then if Facebook and YouTube and the other social media sites dramatically rejigged how their algorithms work and didn't focus on the element of virality uh, I think that would be a wonderful thing for society overall
1: You know, I got to say, there's really only one clear uh, response to this. If I had my magic wand, I'd have to say, no more grandmas or great uncles on Facebook. Just take them right off. 90% of the misinformation goes away. Mic drop.
3: If I had a magic wand, what I would do is force everyone to be voracious readers. Read deeply and read widely. And that's not just for misinformation, but it's also to combat our our own biases as well.
0: For me, I think it would be putting more teeth in terms of the regulations, increasing the accountability for the social media platforms. If they're going to be treated as official sources of information, they should be held to the same standards that the Washington Post, New York Times, other media entities, they should be regulated in a similar manner. And on that note, I think we'll be wrapping this one up.